When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Absolutely. I loved him as a team. I thought he was great. He was a huge competitor. I thought the one thing that always showed up was his physicalness and blocking. Like He was always a te- great teammate. And when he, when the ball was up in the air, he would give you the best chance to catch it. Like The guy is so competitive. And at times, you'd be like, dude, Diggs, calm down. But you love that as a teammate. Like you, People forget that this is a barbaric, violent sport. And it's supposed to be played at a loud tone. And people are supposed to be crazy and upset and throwing things. Like That's how this game is. So for if it was the teammates that weren't like that, that I was like, what's wrong? with that guy. Does he not want to be here today? Like, you know Diggs wants to play. Someone I would say all of those things about. ESPN's Courtney Cronin joining <laughs> me here. Purple Daily. That was Alex Boone from a few weeks ago. Oh, I miss him. On uh, Stefan Diggs. I think we got to check in with Boone and see if he's doing alright. I mean, if he can't go to the gym, how is that man working out? I think we better find out. Um, Courtney, I wanted to start the show with you just selfishly on something that I wrote, and then I have a lot of other things that uh, we need to get to uh, the draft and uh, your take on Tajay Sharp joining the Minnesota Vikings and what that means. I also wrote about some receivers that could step right in and, and whether that's a good idea for the Vikings to spend a high draft pick on a receiver. But I kind of had this moment the other day where I was thinking, gosh, we really moved on from Stefan Diggs not being here quickly. And part of that is that our world has been turned upside down. So everything seems sort of, you know... Not as important when we're talking about life and death situations going on outside of here. And Carl Anthony Towns' mother is in a very difficult condition with coronavirus and things like that. So, of course, a receiver being traded to another team in comparison is not a big deal. But I was thinking about this is a guy that we saw as part of one of the biggest moments in franchise history. And he's in the conversation, at least, for one of the better receivers in franchise history. And he's gone and we kind of went oh yeah well he wasn't happy and so i did a deep dive if people want to look for it at scorenorth.com into why stefan diggs is no longer a minnesota viking and uh, the place that i started courtney and i think that we still see the reflections of is 2017 and that season and how it went and everything that has happened since then i i think played a role in diggs's unhappiness sure and 
I like, I remember you and I were talking about the article as you were forming, you know, kind of connecting all of those dots and trying to piece this whole thing together. And even last week on the Tuesday show of Purple Daily, we tried to do the exact same thing, just talk this thing out. Like, what were the signs? Did we miss them? No, we obviously did not because you and I, dating back to last May or whenever OTA started, and we're like, oh, where's Diggs? This is not <laughs> yeah, real. Right. This is not really voluntary for as much as it as it uh, has that notion. And obviously, from um, the perspective of he was the only one not there, so it was clearly noticeable. But you know, we've been talking about this for a while, and you couldn't miss the signs. But it was so much more than just last season. I think this had really been in play for. A couple years now and trying to see that the direction that this offense was trending in just did not jive with Stephon Diggs and where he was at in his career and all of this stuff kind of um, domino affecting itself into where we're at right now. So if you think, oh, well, you know, it, it happened last year because Kirk didn't throw him the ball and because Dalvin Cook was the focal point of this offense and you're, you're just kind of missing the whole story here because beyond the 2019 season, this was trending this way for a while. And I really did like your article because I think that it finally pieced everything together where people who had either missed the signs or not understood just the full ramifications of what everything meant, they now finally get to, you know, kind of encapsulate, read that in an encapsulated form. Scorenorth.com, by the way, is where you can read it. I heard, I heard that free website free. Yes, free, totally free. You don't have to sign up or anything. You just click on it. Uh, there's also an app as well, uh, Score North app. So make sure you get you get that. Uh, wh- what I wanted to include in the piece is the idea of the diva receiver and just sort of mm-hmm. touch on it a little bit. Um, I didn't go deep into this, but it frustrates me when we label people as anything. You know, Lamar Jackson, running quarterback or something. You know, just just labels are lazy and they don't tell us much of the whole story. And if you call Stefan Diggs a diva, I mean, sure, I guess tweeting the way that he tweeted or missing practice or missing OTAs or, or something, it, it sort of fits the bill and yelling at people on the sidelines. It, it, it fits what people have in their minds as a diva receiver. But I think what this is really a story of Stefan Diggs not being here is expectations that were set and then not met. And this works for just about anything in our life. So if you have expectations, um, Courtney, as you're going to be the Vikings reporter and you're going to be on ESPN radio and on the Purple Daily Show, and those are your expectations for 2020. And then someone at ESPN says, you know, actually, we're going to, you know, we're going to scale that back. And instead, Mm -hmm. you are just going to write newsers and and put up 100-word articles based on NFL news. That's still a good job if you're the person that does that. But that's not the job that you wanted, and that doesn't maximize your skill. And I think that that's how Stefan Diggs looked at it as the 2018 season went along and and what happened at the end of the 2018 season with firing John D. Filippo, that early in that year, his skills are being maximized. They're throwing for 400 yards. The offense is lighting up the Los Angeles Rams in a loss, but you know he's putting up big numbers. Kirk's putting up big numbers, and they're throwing all the time. And then the head coach wants to go a different direction. So even if the head coach had good reason to go the different direction because of Delvin Cook and you have a chance to have Gary here and everything else, uh, that doesn't match up with what the expectations were for Stephon Diggs. And I think that that is a major part of why this went awry. Yeah, and he was smart to project this thing out. I mean, he's 26 years old. 
pretty soon he's going to be looking for the third contract. And you're not going to be getting the figures that you feel like you deserve if you don't have the numbers to back that. I mean, that just is a fact of, of the game, of the NFL contract world and in players' value. And even in an era where you know he's certainly earning a good salary right now, it could still be at another level. When he looks around the league and sees guys that have done less than him, that are earning more than him, I'm sure that that's a point of contention. And one thing I know that you didn't touch on it, like to speculate r- rather about it in, in your article, was the contract situation. Yeah, yeah. But we know in hearing things behind the scenes that he wasn't exactly thrilled with his deal. And you can obviously infer Adam Thielen gets his big deal last April, right before Easter. Uh, um, and Diggs is at Diggs was at a far different, um, I guess, pay category or tax bracket, if you want to call it, in seeing where Adam Thielen, who had made two Pro Bowls in large part because look at what's over on the other side of the field, taking the attention away from you, so you're able to perform at the level that you're performing at. Um, I think that that definitely played into the whole thing. And that's not to say that he didn't appreciate his teammate and wasn't happy for him, mm-hmm. uh, because he was one of the first people. If you remember on Twitter that Friday that the extension get, uh, got announced, Diggs was one of the first people to talk about a happy for my brother, you know, let's get it this year, et cetera, et cetera. But he, you know, rationally he was smart about it. He looked at his own situation. I know people are going to say, oh, he's a diva. He's not a team player. Sorry, this is a dog-eat-dog league and dog-eat-dog world. You have to watch out for yourself because if you don't, no one else is going to. So I can understand the frustrations of not being in an offense that allows you to tap into the full depth of your potential. And I don't think he ever felt that, especially the last two years after the offense took a turn in a major left turn uh, to a completely different direction from where they were at the first 13 or so games of 2018 where he was able to reach his potential. And on the other side of that, Matthew... I look at this and say, well, you know, well, what if Dalvin Cook took the same approach? I mean, that's the argument that, you know, since we've laid this forth, the way that we have, people are going to say, well, Diggs felt that way about himself and his skill set and everything else. Well, what if another player um, took the same approach? And, and some people are going to say it's selfish. Well, that's their prerogative. And Dalvin Cook's eventually going to get that second contract. Um, will it be the level of what Diggs could potentially earn on, on could have earned, you know, in a bigger second contract or even on a third? Probably not because of the value of running backs. That's just the nature of where we're at right now in the NFL. But I do think that he had a point. And he exercised his point because that's what you're allowed to do if you're a star player. And the situation now is that he's just not here. He's moved on. And, you know, going beyond this, I wonder, you know, will we potentially see more of this stuff happening in the NFL in this landscape? Yeah, and I think we already are. Plus, there's, you know, the NBA mindset of wanting to find your way to play for who you want to play for and in situations that you want to be in. like And not wasting your prime. Like, sorry, that's that's the point here. Like, Diggs is at least knowledgeable and has the heads-upness, if that's even a phrase, to know, I'm not going to be able to do this forever. I'm not going to be able to, you know, receiver's not a position you can play forever and ever. And I mean, obviously, running back's even less, and there are other positions that have a shorter span. But he's already eclipsed the league average of about two and a half to three years, where most careers end up dying. So he knows that he wants to maximize the rest of the years that he has left because you're not immune to injuries. You're not immune to a lot of things that could shorten your playing time. Um, 
and rightfully so, he took that into his own hands. Now, I think the, the way in which he did is going to irk people for a long time to come, and people are going to say he was ungrateful and that mm-hmm. um, he was a distraction and all these other things. We know behind the scenes some of that stuff is true, some of it's not, and a lot of it's just the way that you perceive it. No, and that's a great point, is that you know this is a situation that just became untenable, and I, I wouldn't, and I didn't in the article point and say this is Mike Zimmer's fault or this is Stefan Diggs' fault. This is why it didn't work. And this is why not necessarily exactly Zimmer, but the philosophy and the offense and the situation uh, just became a point of conflict. And with the contract point, I wanted to focus more on him wanting to prove that he was a top wide receiver. And, And that goes along with the contract point. No one ever specifically said to me, this is all about the contract. So while it is relevant, it also kind of goes along with Adam Thielen has two pro bowls. Stefan Diggs doesn't have any. And even though, you know, we kind of laugh at the pro bowl and some of the people they put in (coughs) Xavier Rose last year, what replacement Uh, players, right? Yeah. Sometimes they do that, but it matters. It matters to your contract negotiation. It matters when you're done with your career and they go back and look and how many times did you make the pro bowl and, and things like that, that he believes rightfully so by any of the metrics you look at, whether it's contested catches, quarterback rating, when you throw his way, or if you talk to people in the game, who could break down receivers. He is one of the top players in the league at that position, and his numbers haven't exactly reflected it. But also, there's another point of it, too, and, and, they, and they've been good. I mean, he's got three straight 1,000-yard re- reception seasons. But I think that he wants to be considered in that you know DeAndre Hopkins air because he believes he's that talented. Um, but I think the other part of this, too, Courtney, is it, that he also did not see this team necessarily – as one that could fulfill what they set out to do after 2017, which was to win the Super Bowl. And one thing we know about Diggs, that after his meltdown after Chicago, is he had seven catches for 108 yards that day. Like, he put up good numbers that day and was apoplectic about how things had gone. So it's not all about the me. It's not all about the numbers. It's also about winning. And when... You come off a 2018 season that is a massive disappointment where you have to fire your offensive coordinator, your uh, quarterback that you paid $84 million won't throw you a 50-50 ball, and then you go into a year where the quarterback is trying to be protected by the head coach and focus everything around a running back, and once again, you come up short of what your goal was set out to be. We may have set the bar at 10-6 and for this team and said, oh, well, you know, they had a pretty good season at 10-6. and but the guys inside that locker room that were on the 2017 team did not set the bar at 10 and 6 and finishing with one playoff win. And I think that that also drove Diggs crazy. And when you see him frustrated on the sideline, when you see him yelling on the sideline, a lot of times it turned out that that was him trying to push everybody uh, to win because he thought the team was capable of it and they didn't come through with it. And of course, you can't just say, trade me, get out of here because we didn't win, get me out of here because we didn't win as much as. Uh, I wanted us to. That's not the way every player can handle it. But someone of his talent level that has a lot of teams interested yep. around the league can, I think, show a different level of frustration and look for a change. You bring up a very good point there that is worth repeating. Not everybody can do this. Not everybody can act that certain way. Not everybody has the same sort of clout that he built up over the last few seasons as one of the better receivers in the league. And you can even put him in that category as one of the best right now. Um, 
here's the thing that I think about when I look at the Stefan Diggs situation and some of the meltdowns. I mean, call them what they were. They were temper tantrums on the sideline. I mean, that is what you would call something if a child is kicking and screaming and throwing stuff. Um, same thing for a 26-year-old. Now, is it the right way to handle it? That's up to you to decide. But he was always a competitor through all of that. And you could see the frustrations boiling over and the stuff that you didn't always see because some of the antics uh, took the center stage was him pleading with Kirk Cousins in that Week 17 game against the Bears, give me a chance, throw the ball to me, I've got you, like that type of stuff. I relate this to watching Odell Beckham having meltdowns last year. And you know what he did after he got his 1,000 yards at the end of last season? He took himself out of the game. <laughs> Tell me that's not selfish as yeah. all get out. Very Stephon different. Diggs never yeah. did that. Very different. But those two consistently get like put together just because the actions look similar on the sidelines. But I promise you, sweetheart, the motivations behind both of those, vastly different. So you can complain about Stefan Diggs all you want. You can complain about, oh, it's a distraction, it's a locker room cancer, whatever the hell you want to call it. His motivations were far different than someone like Odell Beckham, who is out there shooting commercial after commercial, being a true diva in every sense of the word, to take yourself out of a game. Yes, I understand you play for the Cleveland Browns, but they did have a little bit of an uptick last season, and they made a push there at the end. Was it promising? Not really, but it was a push nonetheless. And to take yourself out of the game, how can you call yourself a leader of that team? Like, Stephon Diggs, through and through all this, was still a leader of the team. Yes, he didn't show up to OTAs, but he was one of the most vocal guys in that locker room, one of the most well-respected guys in that locker room. You and I are in there Mm -hmm. all the time. Seeing on Friday who flocks to whose locker to have lunch, that is a sure indicator of somebody who isn't a loner, isn't an outcast, isn't alienating himself from everybody else. He was well-liked and loved by a lot of guys in that locker room, and that's going to be a loss for them. Well, and the thing that the players respect most, and this goes for around the league with Stephon Diggs, is if you can ball. And for somebody who puts that much into his technique and who competes at that sort of level, we've been around a lot of players who are not in his stratosphere of those things. And so I think that's, you know, the respect comes from even if he is upsetting you with uh, yelling at you on the sideline or whatever else, you have to respect what he's able to do in the league. And that's that's why we started the segment with what Alex Boone said, and I quoted it in in the piece of just mm-hmm. I thought it was the perfect encapsulation that, you know, Football players are going to respect the game and how you play it. And uh, I think Diggs had the ultimate respect there from his teammates. And, by the way, even though he was fined for skipping practice, they still wanted him to play that following Sunday. So keep that in mind. So anyway, so I, I hope people uh, read the article, scorenorth.com. What, uh, I, what did I title it? Something about how things, what happened between the Vikings and, and it's Stephon It's a play-by-play yes. of the last year and a half yes it's it's just sort of the accumulation and the build-up to them separating so let's lead into with that because we're going to talk to our buddy jeremiah searles in just a little bit um the draft because we've sort of hit a lull here the vikings signed tajay sharp uh an interesting receiver but by no means a digs replacement uh no matter what i saw on twitter and wanted to rip my hair out about um (laughs) there are a lot of people who are ready to crown him using the word elite and um if i is there a way to block certain words on twitter there is yes yes i have certain words blocked on twitter i'm gonna block the word elite because to categorize and no slight to tajay sharp i'm sure he's you know i mean i've seen some of his toe touching 
sideline grabs. I mean, he's got that going for him, but to call his route running elite... Um, I don't know if I would place it there just, just preposterous. yet. But, yeah, 25 um, I, catches. I mean, <laughs> what? I think people are just very excited yeah, that's that fine. something happened. That's fine. And that's fine. We're not trying yeah. to rain on your parade, but um, let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's great, but I, these are, and we're guilty a little bit of uh, getting excited for Kendall Wright to play in the slot, I mean, but I mean. <laughs> and Michael Floyd. <laughs> $1 million contract doesn't exactly scream that the league was desperate for Tajay Sharp on their team, okay? So you can hope that he makes the team. Let's start with that first yes. and then see where we go from there. But I look at it, Courtney, as the Vikings still need in the first or second round to draft a wide receiver, and I made a list of them. Uh, we, do we What's that I hear? Is that in the background? Is that Courtney, our draft scout, trying to get oh, to the... Oh, oh. To the Is microphone, yeah. Um, maybe we can get uh, out of here. Maybe. No, I mean, oh, okay. No, I guess no, she's here move today. over. Yeah, we gotta. Who has the quickest twitch? Whose hips are the most oily? Did she just like, who has the, the quickest herself? long yes. snap? Hand sizes, wingspans. Oh, no one knows hand sizes and wingspans better than Courtney R. Draft Scout. Man, we're five or six hundred miles apart from each other, and somehow she just can. Like take over the board and start playing her theme song. That's Ever crazy. present, really. Yeah. Uh, so um, I made a list of some receivers. You want to go through them of uh, that the Vikings could be looking for because if Tajay Sharp is the only receiver you're getting here, um, that's not the biggest difference maker for 2020. So uh, I, of course, included the top two: Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb. That if there's any chance the Vikings can get them, you just get them and you put them in, and they're really good. But they're quite different. Ms. Draft Scout. Yes. Uh, Jerry Judy is more of the route technician, and C.D. Lamb is much more of the playmaker. Do you think that the Vikings would use their draft stock to trade up if one of those two started to slip into the teens? That's a tough call. Um, because I think that you'd honestly be okay staying at 22 and picking a receiver there than hedging that it's going to be all that much better, that it's going to be that much di- much of a difference maker if you trade up to, let's say, like 12 or 13 or somewhere in that top 15 to get uh, a C.D. La- Lamb or Jerry Judy. I mean, you'd be fine if you could get a T. Higgins, a Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, Henry Ruggs. I mean, those guys are still very good and probably going to be available to you at 22. Um, I think that as I look at this receiver class, and yes, it's very talented and it's deep, I still think that a first-round pick is a wise selection to spend uh, on an offensive player, especially someone who you expect in the future to replace Stephon Diggs. But do we truly know there's that much of a difference between those top two guys and the other two? Just knowing what we know about first-round receivers and how Mm -hmm. it's so rare that you hit on one of them right away. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's what's hard to determine. Um, C.D. Lamb had a bunch of yards after catch, so maybe yes. he's a guy that even if it doesn't go exactly right, they can avoid making the same mistake that they did with Cordero Patterson, which was not just finding ways to get him the ball. Um, you know, and boy, when you watch Jerry Judy, it's hard to see this guy not succeeding. But at the same time, like you said, it's hard to know who's going to get it, who's not. Uh, the next on my list was Denzel Mims and Mel Kiper and Yahoo Sports's Eric Edholm, our buddy. Both mocked him to the Vikings, and I know that you wrote some things on on how he would fit. Do we like him? I mean, he's a, a only really an outside receiver, which is kind of okay. I, I don't know. You know, maybe that'll work. Maybe it won't. Unbelievable combine that really shot up his draft stock. Um, good numbers at Baylor, but do you like that fit? 
I do, and I think that he actually has potential to play in the slot. He didn't do a ton of it at Baylor just because the last year his his second thousand yard rec- uh, receiving season in 2019 it required him because he was mostly on the left side of the formation. Um, that's honestly just where he ran most of his routes. I don't know if his piece of quarterback was more comfortable, what the play calling strategy was behind that, but that's what we know of him. He's a good outside presence, big, physical body, you know, he can, you know, contested catches are his thing. So what are you missing with Stephon Diggs? He was one of the best contested catch mm-hmm. receivers, and I think that his body control uh, is huge. Um, it's a huge benefit if the Vikings did get him. Now, is it a reach almost at 22? I don't know. It's going to depend on how the wide receiver class shakes out. I mean, you saw in Mel's uh, the draft, the draft, mock draft that came out two days ago, that or yesterday, the one that had him at uh, 22, you saw, I think, four or five receivers taken until that point. Like, it was kind of what we had expected almost with the cornerback class, yeah, uh, yeah. except that they, you know, were pushed down a little bit further. So, if you are in that position where you start to see the run on receivers go early in the first round, and at, at 22, if you do have someone like a Denzel Mims, a Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rieger, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, if they're available to you, they're not going to be available probably when you pick again in the second round. I right. mean, and, and you have to figure out, is 25 going to be a defensive end? Because this isn't like the class for the defensive line like it was last year. So you'd probably be better waiting until a later pick there in the first round. But if that receiver run starts, I think there are some teams that are going to try to tap into that. And I would not be surprised at all if that's the first round pick for Minnesota. All right, the first, um, first round. Let me just give you a couple other names, then we'll take a break. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. from USC is a guy who might be able to step in right away. He's also huge, six foot mm-hmm. four. And uh, Van Jefferson is an interesting guy from Florida. from Florida. Did not have great numbers, but also had horrible quarterback play there and was a uh, really highly recruited coming out of high school. Might be one of those guys that drops into the third and then ends up being a good find. So some names to watch there. I think that they do have to, at least in those first three picks, first and second round, try to address receiver because not only is it a replacement for Diggs, but down the line for Adam Thielen potentially as well or to fill in some of that production. So Yeah, and I, I know who else. I um, The receiver from the University of Minnesota. Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson. I mean, not definitely not a first-round pick. Probably a nice value on day two. Yes, yeah, I agree. I've, I'm very intrigued by him, and obviously the proximity that we've had to that program and just seeing, you know, how many draft picks or at least higher higher round draft picks they're going to have is is very intriguing but specifically him that would be a really cool story in its own right but i do think that there is more there that could present a nice opportunity for the vikings had they you know if they are in that position in day 2 to take him all right jeremiah Searles joins us next former viking to talk a little vikings and nfl offseason and also he recently retired so i want to ask him about that eric eager for pff at three o'clock and we've got some routes and they're hot we'll do all that uh when we return it's purple daily matthew collar and courtney cronin hey there it's phil mackey for federated mutual insurance company and federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local Federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. 
Jonathan here with the Score North Download. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're hunkering down, and we here at Score North are with you every step of the way through these unprecedented times. Got something to say, something to get off your chest? Leave us a mic drop message on the Score North mobile app. You may even hear it played back on your favorite Score North show on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app. As you heard in the first segment, Math Caller has a piece over on scorenorth.com, completely free scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Talking about what happened between the Vikings and Stefan Diggs. You can also hear Courtney Cronin and Matthew Collar discuss what happened when we podcast this show at about 4 o'clock time for free anywhere you find your podcast. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin. We welcome into Purple Daily former Minnesota Viking and Buffalo Bill, just like Stefan Diggs, uh, Jeremiah Searles. What's up, Jeremiah? What's up, guys? How you guys doing today? Well, you know, uh, I'm a little surprised I brought you back on the show after we had a big fight about pizza at the NFL Combine uh, and your very bad pizza takes. But I guess I guess I can't argue with a former offensive lineman about food because that's just a tough one to win. It's a very tough one to win, but I did have the good take of Philip Rivers to the Colts. I did have <laughs> yes, that that's right. <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, did you have Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Bucks, Jeremiah? I did not, because I did not expect Ryan Tannehill to get $116 million from the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> Me well, neither. We are, in the, we are in the exact same uh, place. How have you felt like watching this offseason? I know we're going to get into some other things and with the Vikings and stuff, but I feel like, uh, especially with everything going on outside of sports and how crazy it's been, it has been great for us who love to talk about football, because I can't remember a crazier offseason, Jeremiah. No, I agree. I mean, this this is just, it seems like free agency every year. You just think like, man, that can't be worse than that or crazier than the year before. And then it's like, hold my beer. And it just goes <laughs> completely again. I mean, this year was just specifically crazy because of so many quarterbacks. And not just like average Joe quarterbacks. We're talking Hall of Famer type quarterbacks that were on the market. I think that's what made this year super interesting. But I agree. I mean, with the world of sports being shut down, it is. Thank goodness for free agency. So before all of the coronavirus and the concerns of it spreading shut our world down, our friend Alex Boone decided to abandon us because he's trying to make a run back at the NFL, which requires eating a lot and working out a lot, which would have cut into his radio time. Um, that was in a normal world, Jeremiah. And, and now we're in a world where athletes can't really – they can't, obviously they can't go to the facility. Their workout regimens are certainly altered. As an offensive lineman um, – if you were in this situation where you were still trying to train, and, and I know guys have nutritionists, chefs, um, you know, workout plans, all of that, how difficult, though, do you think it is for a lot of offensive linemen, you know, the guys in the trenches who have to have big bodies, uh, to, you know, the situation they're faced with right now to be able to maintain that? That, to me, was one of the first things I thought of. Like, how are guys going to look when they do inevitably show up to training camp whenever that is? Yeah, I mean, you're going to really see the guys that put in the effort and put in the time to make sure that they continue to perfect their craft and everything. I mean, I know one of my good buddies, Spencer Long, he's been in the league for seven years, started with the Redskins, with the Jets, he's now with the Bills. Um, he, before, as he saw the writing on the wall coming, went and bought all at-home workout stuff, bought an entire rack, bought an entire an elliptical weight. He's like, I have to be able to do things. And he's like, if it comes down to it, I'll run sprints 10, 15, 20 yards at a time in my backyard. I mean, and that's how a lot of guys I think are going to have to end up doing things is how can we get creative? I mean, I started thinking like, okay, if I was still training and I was still going to be in the league, what would I do? 
and a lot of it would probably be get with your buddies wherever you're training. And, I mean, back here in Nebraska, there's four offensive linemen that all come back. We probably would be like, all right, whose house are we meeting at today to do things? And that's really about you have to do that. It's almost impossible to not do it with someone else when you're trying to talk about offensive line coming off the ball and getting out of your footwork and hitting something. And you need one, two, three, four people. And, I mean, it's going to be so interesting, especially if there's zero OTAs. If there's no OTAs, man, you're going to see a lot of rookies that don't play very much at all this year because if you remember in the lockout when there was no OTAs and then you had the rookie class that came in, I mean, they just showed up to camp. And at camp time, there's no more babysit. There's no more how do we help you get to where you need to go. It's time to win football games. And, I mean, for a rookie, that's dang near impossible to try and digest and pick a playbook up and everything in really six weeks. So I think it's really going to affect the rookie class. But you'll see vets that come back out of shape, and I think it's going to be more the second, third-year guys that don't really understand what it means to have to come back in phenomenal shape, especially if you just come back for a training camp. But the guys that have been around four, five, six years, they understand what it's going to take, and you're going to have to get creative. But this is a great opportunity for some of those guys to really separate themselves from other people in their position. Can you expand on the OTA point? Because I don't think most football fans understand what OTAs is, and I don't know if reporters fully understand what you guys do. Yeah. We, we go out there and we're like, okay, uh, let's interview the new rookie at the podium and see what he's got to say, and then we yeah. watch you guys out there in shorts sort of standing around and wait to talk to you on the sideline. But what what is the value of having that, and what would people miss out on if uh, they aren't able to have it this year? Yeah, I mean, so a guy like free agents, for example, if you're a free agent that you come in from another team, OTAs is really your first glimpse at your coach, at your new teammates, at the new playbook, the culture, like a little bit of everything, and it kind of works as a buffer. I mean, for example, the first phase of OTAs is just working out. Like the first phase one of OTAs is you come in, you get your lift in, and you just kind of do that for two, three weeks, and you start to learn your teammates, and you start to learn guys, and you start to learn the workouts and everything. And then you go to phase two where you get an hour on the field, and then you start to learn the playbook, and then the rookies show up on the last week of phase two, and now's where you're starting to build your team, right? Yes, it's 90 guys, but you're starting to build your core group of your team. You're starting to see who your leaders are. You're starting to understand more of a flow, and as a rookie, you're starting to understand, okay, this is the NFL now. You're starting Football. to be like, okay, this is the NFL. <laughs> Sorry, it was yeah. just it was just too football-y, Jeremiah. We had to we had yeah. to jump in with so that. So much football, so much football, <laughs> so much um, football. But it, it's just, it's really like if you're a rookie, a lot of these guys, especially if you, let's stay with offensive linemen. These college football programs, what they hold up a card of barstool big cat, and that means that they're going to run whatever play. <laughs> I mean, you get in the NFL now, you've got complex play calls, you've got checks, you've got check with me's you've got to read defenses and oh by the way that guy across from you is an all pro who's going to try and kick your teeth in every play like there's so much more that you start to kind of put pieces together during OTAs like the phase two you're with the older guys and you're learning okay here's the here's what my room looks like here's what competing at the NFL looks like then you get into phase three and you get practice like okay here's what an NFL practice on a lower scale looks like but you start to get a feel for the talent that you're going up against. You kind of get your feel for like where you feel and where you fit into the group so that come mini camp, you have an idea like, okay, at the end of mini camp, I should know kind of where I fit in. I should have a base level knowledge of the playbook so that when I show up to, to training camp, you start the install of the playbook all over again, but you're not seeing it for the first time. 
so you can retain, you can study during that six weeks so that you can put yourself in the best position when you show up for training camp to make the club. And, I mean, where you're going to see a fall-off is you're going to see a huge fall-off in undrafted free agents making clubs. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because they, they're not going to have that opportunity through OTAs to prove themselves. And once they get to training camp to be able to get onto the field, because if there's no OTAs, your entire training camp is going to be spent getting your veterans ready to play the season. And you're not going to have time to focus on these undrafted free agent guys or these even lower round guys and bubble guys that you need to, hey, let's get them in the game so we can see if they can play. No, it's like we got to get ready. We have six weeks now. We lost ten weeks of offseason. We now have six weeks to get our team ready and game shape for week one. And you're going to see a huge, huge hit to the undrafted and low round guys. And as you're talking about that, the one thing that's kind of circling through my mind for teams that have a lot of turnover during free agency and inevitably filling a lot of spots with new guys in the draft is is that leadership aspect and what happens to the locker room. How do you think that's going to affect this Vikings team specifically? Because you see so many staples depart in free agency, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. Everson Griffin was the heartbeat of that defense. Now he's not coming back to Minnesota. Stephon Diggs on offense was a vocal leader in his own right. How do you think this changes potentially the fabric of the locker room? Not only what happened in free agency, but the time that this team may or may not get together over the next few months in figuring out, well, who is going to be that voice in this locker room? Yeah, I, I have a feeling it's going to go one or two ways. It's going to be, excuse me, there's going to be a lot of alphas that try and step up. Maybe guys that shouldn't be alphas and stepping up but think they have to. And then you might have a lack of guys like, well, I'm just going to stay in my lane and do and get mine. Because as I look at the Vikings free agent signings, you didn't really bring in that guy, right? Like the guy where you're just like, man, that guy's going to take over the room. You just, I don't see any of that in the Vikings free and you guys can correct me if you think I'm wrong but I just don't see a big name like that guy's going to be the face of whatever position group he walked into and so that means that guys like Daniil Hunter that means guys like Stephon or uh, excuse me Adam Thielen that means guys like maybe we don't know Body Odigbo are going to have to really step their games up to be ready to take into a more roles and they can't be afraid because their role is bigger now they can't then go into their shell and think, okay, I'm just going to stay in my lane. They got to be vocal. They got to be, Hey, if I'm a starter, that's because I earned it. And I'm going to let people know I earned it in the right way. So for this Vikings team, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see who steps up, who steps down, but really all across the league, it's going to be when you show up to training camp, who's going to be the guy that steps out in front and says, Hey, follow me. And those are going to be the teams that you see be really good this year or the teams that are average. That's a lack of that. Well, that's it's fascinating that you say that because I even got the sense over the last two years, Jeremiah, that inside that locker room there was a lot more attitude of I'm just going to do my job and then you know whatever happens happens. That I think it shifted a bit uh, from 2017, where that was the closest locker room that I've ever covered as a reporter, I, I think by far. Mm-hmm. And then it started to kind of be like, um, and there were just little little evidence of, is of it, you know, players not signing the team friendly contract or saying, you know, I, I could leave here and it would be okay and that that sort of thing so um i am interested in what where you think they go next i mean Diggs isn't here and and, and griffin's not here and all these players that you played with a very short time ago jeremiah are now not on the yeah. minnesota vikings uh what would be your plan to rebuild it 
Uh, I mean, I got I got absolutely crushed on Twitter when I said the Vikings are in a rebuild year. They're like, no, we're in a win now year. And I, I got very specific, like, okay, let's look at this like very objectively of how many people are gone. I think that this year the best case situation is an eight and eight year. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons we just talked about, like who replaces those guys? Huge question marks with Everson, Linville. Xavier, Trey Waynes. I think it goes, you go down the list and then you look on offense and you think, okay, who's going to carry the load? Well, obviously it's going to be a Dalvin Cook, I mean, show again, which you hope he shows up. I mean, that's still up in the air. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think the way that you look at this Vikings team and you say, okay, what's next? I think what's next is you find a guy for Kirk Cousins to groom. I think that you find a guy that maybe later in the draft, maybe not a first-round, second, third-round pick, but maybe there's a quarterback in this draft that you think, man, if I can get him to sit for two years and learn from Kirk, Mm -hmm. maybe I can hand him the reins and the keys to the car in two years. I think that's step one. Step two is you got to start finding some old linemen that are going to be there for the long haul. And you can't do the the Josh Klein route and bring a guy in for a year on a three-year deal and then cut him. Right. And bring a guy in like you drafted Grant Bradbury. Great, he's there for the long run. Brian O'Neill is a phenomenal tackle. Hopefully you can keep him around for the long run. But you're looking at your left side turning over and F-line and Reef next year. Like, what is your plan for that? What What is the what is the two, three-year plan at left tackle? One of the biggest positions on the team. And then you got to start, I mean, you got to just, I mean, go down the street and pick up anyone that can play corner or safety and to say, hey, can you guard everyone in the NFC North? Because we need you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of my, my big things are corner, offensive line, and quarterback. Because you're going to be able to have Dalvin for a long time, you hope. But if you don't, like again, it, these are all front office questions where these guys have to say, okay, is Dalvin worth investing a lot of money into, or does the Todd Gurley thing scare him out of that? Mm-hmm. You know, does the like seeing how much they pay Todd Gurley and seeing what his knee did after a couple of years of handing the ball thirty plus times scare you out of, hey, let's pay Dalvin? And it's just so much to build. But I mean, I think that. You are in a definite rebuild phase of getting young guys in there now that you draft and you have to hit on these drafts that will contribute for four years in a row. Like, you have to do that. And that's just a position that they've been put in because of the cap hit. You can't go find a free agent for two years and plug a hole right now. You just don't have the money for it. And so you have to hit on these young guys. And, again, not having OTAs is going to kill a team like the Vikings because of that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's imperative, it feels like, more than any other year with the Spielman and Zimmer combination that those two have been together, uh, that they hit on their draft picks. And that's such a risk if you're putting that much stock into guys that you expect to come in and potentially fill roles as day one starters. And, and like you brought up with your tweet about saying that this team is in a rebuild, it's such a weird paradigm shift from what we saw last week, early in the week, where you give Kirk Cousins this contract extension, which screams, we think we can win now with the quarterback that we have. And then it started to trickle down to it feels like a rebuild slash rebuilt reboot uh, elsewhere on the team. Can you? Ha- it doesn't feel like you can have both, but I'm just wondering, like, is there anything here? Like, it, it doesn't add up. Like, why would you make that move if you if you knew inevitably, like you mentioned with the cap hit and, and all of their financial restrictions, that you would be in a rebuild in other areas of your team? Why even make the move and let Kirk Cousins not just play out his contract and concede, essentially, that 2020 was going to be a reboot? I think the biggest issue, and I think the number one reason, is cap room. 
I honestly believe that if they did not restructure his con, if they didn't restructure his contract, I don't know how much money they would have in cap, but it wasn't very much. And yeah, basically none. <laughs> basically none. And and looking at the writing on the wall of 2020 and going, okay, going into 2020, Everson's probably gone. Linville's probably gone. Xavier's probably gone. Like we need money to replace these guys, even if it's not with the top tier talent that we have. Like we have to sell our soul to Kirk Cousins. And I hate saying that because I think Kirk's a really good quarterback, but I don't think the Vikings had any chance. I think Kirk Cousins had them in a corner, and he knew it, and they knew it, and so they just kind of had to all agree to disagree that this is the right path, which is why I think so important is getting a guy to that if you're going to be paying Kirk, get something out of him on the field and off the field. You know, you know I, make I, him let him get a young quarterback in there. Sorry, I, I feel like I, I was just going to jump in and make a dumb joke, so now I want to apologize for that. I was just going to say that, you know, there's there's a blog that's starting that says, sell your soul to Kirk Cousins. Like, there's no question. <laughs> Someone has just started a sell your soul to Kirk Cousins podcast that is existing. Uh, before we wrap up with you, Jeremiah, always great stuff and great insight. Uh, you are uh, retired. Shortly after we talked at the Combine, you announced that you are retiring. So, obviously, broadcasting uh, will be and should be a part of that. What else are you doing uh, with your life now that you're retired? How does that feel? It's great. Um, It's been great. I'm dropping weight now. I'm down almost under 300 pounds, which I cannot wait to get the weight off and just have my joints feel better so I don't limp every time I go take a pee in the middle of the night. (laughs) uh, I'm, uh, I'm excited for it. I've actually gotten hired on with the Husker Sports Network. So I'll be doing a lot of work for them here this fall, covering the Huskers team, if there even is a season to cover. Um, And then I'm training high school kids here in Lincoln, offensive line, defensive line, high school kids. And then I'm exploring the possibility of becoming a sports agent as well and uh, kind of seeing if maybe that's something I want to jump into and help represent kids and help them get put in the right position and the right opportunity to make it and have a nice long career in the NFL like I was lucky enough to have. Well, congratulations on that. You played, what, six years in the NFL, and considering yep. that um, like you, you didn't get drafted, you had to fight hard for it to make an NFL career for yourself is a true accomplishment, so congratulations on that, and uh, we know that you're going to be a part of our show coming on uh, whenever we can have you, and uh, you know if Alex Boone doesn't show back up soon, we're going to need somebody to be filling in here, so um, we need that O-line perspective on the show, so congratulations again, and uh, look forward to your work with the Huskers and everything else that you do in retirement, Jeremiah. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, absolutely. I appreciate it. I don't think I can drop as many F-bombs as I <laughs> He has. We've never had to use the dump button on him, which is incredible. He's been very well-behaved. So, that is an incredible stat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the best analytics there are for Alex Boone. Uh, well, th- thanks again, Jeremiah. We'll catch up again soon, buddy. Sure. Sounds good, guys. Take care. Yep. Jeremiah's the best. He was always your favorite to cover. Yeah, he was awesome. I love that uh, that offensive line from 2017, which was my first year covering the team. Uh, they had some good voices there. I mean, Pat Alfine is a rookie, always available to talk. You know, would give you good perspective. Had a really good rookie season. It's kind of amazing, like where we see him now. Um, we weren't we're not talking about him now the way that we did as a rookie. I mean, he he shined from from early on, and you know, Jeremiah was arguably the one of the better you know talkers in the locker room. He was always available. Um, always would give you what you want, always help you, you know, explain the game to you a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yep. It was just awesome. I really enjoyed working with him. And I only got one season because he went to Buffalo That's right. uh, in 2018. But you know what I say about a swing tackle? 
You got him. Hold on. Well, you know, I always thought when they went into that game in Philadelphia, not that it really would have mattered, but moving Mike Remmers to guard was probably a mistake. I think they should have just played Jeremiah uh, Mm -hmm. because he had been a fill-in through the season, and then they got sort of too cute at the end of the year changing things around. Because of the Easton injury, right? Yeah, right. And they probably should have just, instead of trying to move Remmers to guard and asking him to play a completely new position at the end of the season and in the playoffs, probably just filled in somebody who had always been a fill-in. Um, but I don't think people understand that of the all the players that show up in training camp, there's, a, there's 90 and 53 make it, and there's 51 spots that are already determined. And so to be undrafted and come into the league and have a career as a swing tackle or guard or, or play center if he needed to uh, is really, truly impressive. And we see so many players come in who are college stars, best player ever from whatever town they grew up, up you know, grew up in, played at Bama and have no shot and don't even come close to making the NFL and getting on the field. So it is a, uh, a true accomplishment for him to have the career that he had. Um, before we wrap up the, the hour, and then we have Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus coming up next, um, I wonder what you think about what he said about selling the soul to Kirk Cousins. I feel like we need to have that as a drop on the show wherever we talk about Kirk, that we need to hear Jeremiah say, you sold your soul to Kirk Cousins um, for the cap space. But if that's the only reason they did it, was to just create cap space to fill out a roster. You sold yourself for ten million. Then is is what you would uh, boil that down to. If that's the reason they did it, and not because they believed that they could win a Super Bowl with Cousins over the last or over the next couple of years, that's not great. No, but I do know that, like I had reported for for weeks leading into this, they were in talks to do this, not just because of the stability factor, and you can talk about that till you're blue in the face and, and whatever. If you think you can win with Kirk Cousins, that's one thing. They needed the cap space. They wanted to extend him simply, not simply, but for a majority of that had to do with going to get him, going to give themselves a little bit more financial flexibility and it gave them 10 million and what did they do with that they immediately go and sign anthony harris to uh you know they tag him with the franchise tag and and now we don't even know what that situation's how that's going to play out i mean he could get tagged and he traded uh but those trade talks have kind of cooled down you know i don't know who has more of the leverage there kind of feels like the vikings do and they could very easily rescind that tag if they don't want to so it's kind of like well why did you do that because Mm -hmm. by the time if they did get to that, by the time that would happen, all the free agents that they want are gone. And, I mean, unless something happens then with Trent Williams, which I still think it could, regardless of the Anthony yes. Harris situation. Yes. But, um, you know, to, to Jeremiah's bigger point there, um, you know, the thing with Kirk Cousins and, you know, the deal that they have with him right now, they're kind of locked into him for more than just, you know, this this cycle. So, I mean, think about it. So they tore up the final year of the previous deal, which that was $29.5 million in 2020. And so they replaced all of that with a three-year $96 million deal, and that's 61 in full guarantee, 61 at signing. You're not cutting him after year one, even if this year is eight and eight or seven and nine. Um the most important part of that, though, the reason that this is basically another fully guaranteed deal, which, you know, very much kudos to Mike McCartney. He knows what he's doing. He's an excellent agent. If I ever had the money to be in a situation to hire him as my agent, I would 1,000% do it. But um, Kirk's salary in 2020, too, uh, it converts to a full guarantee if he's on the roster on the third day of the 2021 league year. So next year, 
He's already set up for 2022 next year. That's $35 million. Like they're going to be in the same situation with the, with the, with the salary cap, with the financial resources that are locked up in their quarterback. Um, they're they're in a tight situation now, and I don't honestly see any way that they get out of this. And the unless they just fire everyone it, after this. Yes, year. yeah, and the uh, which you know possible the yeah. twenty seven. Uh, well, no, what I what am I trying to say? The seventeen game season is um, probably on its way, but uh, not until twenty twenty two would that really kick in for the salary cap. So they would have to play a full season on the 17-game season in order for it to reflect in the amount of money that they made and the salary kept going up the following year, if that makes sense. So when Kirk has a $45 million cap hit, it'll probably be with a 17-game season, so it will fit, um, but it still is taking up a massive amount of your salary that you have to spend. So now maybe if there were wholesale changes in the organization, the first thing somebody else would come in and try to do was trade him, but if you're trading that contract that's still going to be very hard for anybody else to try and, and fill in. So this deal for Cousins with what the, the situation looks like going forward, at the way you put it was doesn't really add up, and I'm still there. I'm waiting yeah. still to see what happens next to try and convince us that 2020 can still be a year where you win, but I'm not there yet. And what Jeremiah said, they're kind of an 8-8 eight and eight look right now. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Is that's that's where they look right at this moment, and what happens next can change that one way or the other, I guess. Um, so let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk with Pro Football Focus's Eric Eager. Which teams have gotten the most better? Is the Vikings schedule more difficult, or is it uh, easier now that free agency is sort of in full swing? We will discuss with him when we return. And then hot routes at three thirty. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. If you're set to spend more time at home than in your car over the next several days, you can still listen to Score North three different ways. The free Score North app on your phone or tablet, scorenorth.com, or just by saying Alexa, open Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. The two teams that expressed the most interest in Todd Gurley when the Rams were shopping him, were the Falcons and Dolphins. And so Todd Gurley opts to go home where he played college football at Georgia. The Falcons needed a running back to help replace Devonta Freeman, and so the deal is done. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. I always thought it was Devonte Freeman, not Devonta. Yeah, it's not Devonta, it's Devonte. Oh, okay. I it's thought, spelled Devonta, uh, but I've it is Devonte Freeman. You know what was weird is when everyone called Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor for his whole life. And then they, then they claimed it was Tyrod, and then everyone was like, no. No, not calling him Tyrod. Nope, not happening. You are Tyrod Taylor. That is what we are calling you. Uh, and now uh, joining us on the show here, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. Is that uh, going to be the Chargers opening day quarterback, Eric Tyrod Taylor? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it'd be like if somebody called me like Edgar my whole life. And then I finally was like, no, it's like the word, man. Uh, that. that I I certainly hope that they give somebody like Cam Newton a chance. Um, maybe Jameis. Um, you know, some. I I wouldn't go so far as to say Andy Dalton because I think Tyrod's actually better than him. But the 
it is it is strange that they're 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 sort of rolling this dice. I think one of the reasons they might be doing that is because you know the the sixth pick in the draft is a is a prime spot for somebody to take Justin Herbert. I wouldn't take him there, but I do think maybe you know them signaling to everybody that wink wink Tyrod's our quarterback just like he was the quarterback of the Browns in 2018. <laughs> yeah. Uh you know, you better you better move up ahead of us to get a quarterback if you really want one. <laughs> So moving across the country to the other side of the United States uh, is the Patriots and their quarterback situation. On Sunday, they agreed to terms with Brian Hoyer. Uh, so their quarterback room right now, Brian Hoyer, Cody Kessler, and second-year player Jarrett Stidham. Now, are they done? Because I know the talk about Andy Dalton, oh, the Patriots are a perfect fit. Well, Andy Dalton's not that good. Like, I don't know why everybody thought, like, oh, this is a huge, this would be a huge transaction for the New England Patriots if they can get him. He's the best quarterback remaining on the free agent market. Or even, you know, be a trade. Is he? Um, so, I mean, what are they doing? Are they done? Like, what, where do you see this situation going for them? You know, I think that they're going to tank this year. And the reason why is, I mean, if you look at their cap space, I believe they're like one of the worst in the NFL dollars. at it. Yeah, exactly. And then if you look, they traded a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu last year. Uh, so you know, other than their first pick, they're you know they're pretty like bare there. And but if you look ahead one year, just one year, they go to being a hundred million in cap space, uh, and then a double-digit draft picks. So you know, Belichick's probably the one coach in the NFL that has the equity to lose all sixteen games in one season and not get fired. And, and I think he and, and I think when he stares down the barrel at this, he's probably going to uh, not try to lose every game, but he's probably not going to actively try to win. With respect to Dalton, he's been a decent quarterback when he's had good support. The problem with the Patriots is I think it's become pretty apparent that the support for Brady last year was really bad. You know, Eric, I was thinking of this while I was jogging the other day and I was listening to you and George Shahuri debate whether the Patriots would tank. And I think I've got it figured out that... Belichick takes a year off to focus on his family from coaching. Like, ah, uh, you know, I just, this, this coronavirus and quarantining really made me realize how much I need to be near my family for just this one next season. And then, and then so it's like, oh, uh, okay, well, what, Josh McDaniels, why don't you just coach Brian Hoyer and just see how it goes? And I'll return in 2021. I think that's what Belichick will do. He's that savvy because how can you GM, how can you be GM and coach and then tank yourself? You know, right? I mean, he's just, it's almost like he's too good of a coach to even lose that many games. Even when they were bad last year, they still win 12 games. It's sort of like taking a gap year between high school and college, right? Yes, exactly. You know, between quarterbacks, he's just going to take a gap year. Uh, Yeah, what what he should really do um, is find a way to get suspended for a year like Sean Payton. So it's not (laughs) like he's, like, taking the year off, but he gets, like, the mental break. I'm sure we can dig up some cheating that went on. I, I, right, like I was going to say, there's, there's there's probably way more on Belichick than there is on Peyton. Well, what's more illegal? I mean, I think what Sean Payton did and the reasons that he got suspended were quite uh, quite a ways worse than uh, anything we could probably find on Belichick. But who knows? I mean, the guy is basically mafioso, so <laughs> we could figure out something. On that note of like a sabbatical and a gap year, do you feel like that might be where things are trending with Cam Newton? You know that's a good that's a good question. I think I think you know when you look at Newton and I think everybody's wrong about Newton. The guys who really really like him, I think, are overestimating him. And there's plenty of people who think he's a bum who are completely wrong, right? 
But the, 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 where he adds his value is through running the football. You know, he's the first quarterback we've seen run power. Uh, you know, he, he's so good at that sort of like being nimble with his feet, but also being able to make the intermediate throws. And a season ago with, with the Carolina Panthers, he had negative two yards rushing in the first two games. And it sort of shows, you know, he's sort of limited when he can't do, uh, the running and maybe a year off just to get his body right completely would, would serve him really well. Talking with Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. So I wrote a piece using the PFF data on how much the Vikings uh, schedule is going to be harder or easier because of what happened in free agency. The obvious harder is the NFC South. Drew Brees came back and even Teddy being in Carolina, wouldn't it be the one Vikings loss per year that sneaks up on us for Teddy to come to U.S. Bank Stadium and win? But then also Tom Brady now plays for the Tampa Bay Bucks. On the other side of the coin, I present you the AFC self so how have things changed yeah. in, in your mind for what the uh, vikings will face and the opponents on their 2020 schedule yeah it's really interesting right because the i i, I still think though if you play houston with the uh, deshaun watson he's a better quarterback than kirk and the defense the secondary for the vikings right now it's probably gonna be so bad that somebody like will fuller will have a good game against them uh, but I, I agree with you i think it's tougher for them not only in the off divisions that they play, but also in their own division. If you look at the Detroit Lions, you know, I, I say this every single year, but they, they're, you know, their quarterback is better than the Vikings quarterback. Their defense right now is obviously has more good players and more depth than the Vikings defense has. And their receivers and Marvin Jones and Kenny, Kenny Galladay are very, very good. Um, obviously, Patricia, I think, is nowhere near as good of a coach as Zimmer is, but you know, even in that in the in the North Division, I think the Bears and the Lions get better than they were last year, and, and they were already swept by Green Bay. So it it's just not you know it's it's going to be a tough road for the Vikings just from you know having you know a, a, an already difficult schedule to begin with, and then having gotten worse so far uh, since the league year started. So the NFL draft is apparently going to be all wrapped up one month from now goes on April 23rd through the 25th. That is the scheduled start and end date to it currently. Now, the NHL yesterday uh, might be setting a precedent. We don't know. Maybe they will follow it. But they say that they are considering pushing their draft back, which right now is set for June. What's going to happen here with the NFL? Because it honestly kind of feels tone deaf at this point, Eric, when we know that the coronavirus concerns are probably going to be at their peak in April because we have been told by medical experts, not Roger Goodell, but medical experts, that this thing is going to be at its peak, getting worse before it gets better. Um, They already went on with free agency amid a lot of concerns from front offices, some very angry general managers, uh, the NFLPA getting a lot of flack because they didn't want to move back the schedule, whatever. It's already happened. But... From what you know and your understanding, what do you think's going to happen with the NFL draft? Uh, is it happening a month from now? Do we see it pushed back? I see. I see two different. I see both sides have merit in a couple ways. For what? So for the pushing it back, I totally get what you're saying in that, like handing out million dollar contracts to people in a time when a lot of folks are unemployed or. Uh, just struggling to make ends meet is very tone deaf. And it's something that I don't think uh, is a great look at times. Um, and it also might give, it also might give rise to an opinion where the, 
essentially th- this isn't that bad, right? Which I mm-hmm. think the biggest concern, if you're worried about the league starting on time, is not what's currently happening. It's if we allow people to re-disperse and then we have a second outbreak. To me, that's the, that's the biggest risk if you're thinking about whether the league will start uh, in September. Um, the other side of it, though, is what I see is that the, we, as far as encouraging people to stay home, uh, it, it, it's important to have live events because people will stay inside and watch them as opposed to, uh, you know, not social distancing. So, and people are really hungry right now for events. And this is an event that can occur without people interacting physically with each other. So I see it from both sides. I do agree, though, that the tone deafness is something that they really, they, the NFL's never been good at addressing, but that, that's something that they really need to think about. I, I'm a little bit, with, when it comes to GMs complaining about the draft and free agency happening too early, I just think that's because they want the extra time to prepare. <laughs> yeah, no, you're probably right about that, um, because they don't generally show um, social consciousness otherwise uh, in this world. So, yeah, Eric, how about this for the draft? Let's say they do go forward with it. Adam Schefter proposed doing it over seven days, which I kind of hate because the sixth round, I mean, sorry, Adam, there's yeah. no drama left at that point. But my idea was to break up the first round into two sections or even three sections over three nights. And in part because the first round is dreadfully long. I mean, it really goes on all night. And I think that there's time to break that up. But also you get sort of that extra drama of this really matters for three nights. And then you could do the second, the third. I think that a creative idea like that, if you're going to go forward with it, is the right way to go. Yeah, to the point that I just made, it's like the more things that you can have that are alive and that get keep people engaged and keep people's morale up, it, the better, right? I, I think the worst thing they could do is to have the draft all in one day, and the best thing they could do is figure out a smart way to have it go over seven days where, where every single day is, is compelling for people. Um, and I do think that splitting up the first few rounds that, that way would also create, so let's say you split the first round into four days, well, between pick eight and nine now, there's probably going to be more trades, right? Because you have an entire day to sleep on it and all that kind of stuff. So, no, I, I agree with you. I think that they have to dramatize this because, again, like you're trying to balance this idea of like taking this seriously, being socially conscious, but also giving people entertainment in a time when not a whole lot is entertaining. Maybe I'm in the minority here, but a first round that drags on three days <laughs> makes me want to run away, and I hope that that doesn't happen. Although I would like to see maybe a little bit more of a spread out, not seven days of that. Um, but hey, as you know, the Vikings love to be active in the sixth and seventh round, so it could get pretty busy for both Matthew and I. Um, as far as the Vikings right now, it's kind of been quiet. There really hasn't been much movement. One big free agent that's out there still, though, is Washington left tackle Trent Williams. Now, we know from different reports and stuff that we've heard that there's kind of a stalemate going on. They don't want to cut him because uh, they don't want to get nothing back in return for a player of his caliber, but they haven't clearly, if they've gotten any trade offers, they haven't agreed to any of them uh, for where it stands right now. How does this end for Washington, and do you think that he ends up with the Minnesota Vikings? Well, I, I don't think he stays in Washington just because even though Ron Rivera seems from all indications to be a great guy, it's, it's got to be, it's up top there, right? And Bruce Allen was part of the problem and he's gone. But I think Daniel Snyder is somebody that a lot of players don't necessarily like, uh, especially anymore. As far as Minnesota, the, the hard part is 
is even with a tackle at that age, the price tag's expensive. I mean, Andrew Whitworth, five years older than, or more than five years older uh, than Williams, got a big deal, even in free agency. So the Vikings would have to go out of their way to, you know, cut Riley Reef, for example. And I think a lot of people who are, uh, you know, optimistic about the offensive line see Reef as a guard, but he would almost have to, you know, go all, all together. Um, and it, what it, and that's a lot of money to tie up when in reality, like I know they signed Tajay Sharp yesterday, but in reality, their biggest problem is that they don't have players to catch the ball from Kirk Cousins. Uh, and, and is, as good as Williams is, it's not going to, it's not going to help Kirk to have three seconds in the pocket if there's only one player on that offense that's viable downfield. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, we were looking at earlier in the show with Courtney, our draft scout, some of the wide receivers that could go in the first round. But it's hard when you have no players at a number of positions, Eric, to focus on wide receiver, especially in an offense that doesn't throw as much as other offenses in the NFL, the third fewest pass attempts in the entire league. And I guess I could go back and forth on this a little bit. Now, I always believe the more weapons you can have, the better your chance is to go to the Super Bowl. So fundamentally, I would say spend 22 on a receiver because that's your best chance to improve yourself. But if your offense is going to focus on two tight ends, sets and one receiver going deep down the field and have cj ham who's now making a, a good chunk of money in all the time does it make a difference what your system is to be able to do that oh absolutely but i think the issue is that the system is far more uh dependent on game script than we want to give it credit for right mm-hmm. i mean we know that offense dictates a lot of stuff and on early downs you can dictate your usage of heavy personnel and that and the like but I think we underestimate the fact that, A, the Vikings defense was a lot better than their personnel last year, in part because they played six or seven backup quarterbacks during the course of the year. And then Kirk played a lot better in sort of un- in structured settings than, than he had the previous year play action, uh, you know, bootlegs, you know, rolling left. I think you found that stat that he was like a perfect passer last year, all that kind of stuff. And the chances of that happening are lower this year, right? Mm-hmm. Dalvin Cook's going to have a, a target on his back. Um, the offensive line's probably going to regress from an injury perspective, even if they get Trent Williams. And then, uh, you know, they're, and their defense isn't going to be very good. So when you look at, you know, are they going to be in situations where they can run 21 personnel, 12 personnel, 13 personnel, all that kind of stuff, and, and have it be something that the defense is scared of a two-way go with them, I think they're going to be less able to because they're going to be behind in more games because, as you said, their schedule is harder. And, you know, they're just not going to be able to attack the way that they want to as much. And as such, you're going to need to do what they did a lot in 2018, which is be in the shotgun with three wide receivers and throw the football when another team knows you're going to. Yeah, I agree. A lot of games are won on whether you can convert on third and eight in a key situation, and you can't run play action at that point. you just got to find somebody open in a three-wide receiver, four-wide receiver set, and right now I'm not sure they have four-wide receivers. Uh, More importantly, Eric, I watched the 1989 final game of the season where the Vikings had to win to get in the playoffs against the Bengals on Monday Night Football, and it was awesome. Is that the 89 team the best defensive line of all time? Chris Dolman, 21 sacks. Yep. Al Noga, 11 and a half. Keith Millard, 18 sacks. And Henry Thomas adds nine sacks to that team. They got uh, Boomer Esiason six times in that game, and it was super fun to watch. That was a game where uh, I think Keith Millard had already won Defensive Player of the Year and had 
and Dolman like went out and had like four sacks. Four sacks, yep. The sack, That's correct. The sack title. Yep. And then so then of course he's tilted because he doesn't win the defensive player of the year. Henry Thomas being a guy who had a hundred career sacks, but the fourth best defensive lineman on that team <laughs> just tells you everything you need to know about it. I mean, that was that team, Carl Lee was a great corner, Joey Browner. They had a, a guy named Mike Merriweather that could that was kinda like what Anthony Barr should be, but isn't. And it was sort of like all these that was just a great defense, and uh, and and of course they 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 blew it all up by trading for Herschel Walker that year. Yeah, and uh, the broadcast rips the Herschel Walker trade repeatedly, and also the best part of it is that Wade Wilson throws the essential dagger touchdown to a tight end, number three tight end, Brent Novoselsky, Selsky, Novoselsky, which is an amazing number three tight end. He had four catches the whole year, and that was one of them. And it's this amazing, like, drop-in-the-bucket throw. It's a great game. You should go back and watch it on YouTube. So that's one for you, Eric, as you are quarantined with the rest of the world. And uh, we could talk more throwback Thursday, way back Wednesday. Uh, there ain't no freaking sports Friday, whatever way you want to do it. <laughs> I like uh, that last one. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do it again soon, Eric. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, we're doing a, an old game tonight on YouTube. If you want to come watch uh, Chris, me, Mina Kynes, and uh, Sam watch, uh, I think it's the 2014 Super Bowl. So, uh, have yeah, like we're we're trying to we're trying to do that same thing here. Uh, go back and watch some games that have already happened. That is all we can do at the moment, Eric. Thanks for your time. We'll talk soon. Take care. Yep. This 89 game, Courtney, was incredible. Boomer Esiason. They had been to the Super Bowl the year before, but sort of a disappointment. And uh, there's like, uh, let's see here, there were five turnovers, I think, alone for the Bengals, and the Vikings had three more. Do you miss when there used to be way more interceptions and fumbles? Sure. I think that that's what keeps the game exciting, where you know teams are winning games off the turnover battle, because they can preach all they want about it in today's NFL. We're just not seeing it at the level it was 20, 25 years ago. I know. It's too bad. <laughs> There's just interceptions and fumbles everywhere in this game, and it's two of the best teams in the league, and they're they're fumbling it away. They're throwing horrible picks that make no sense. Uh, that I guess I wish I had the all-22 to see why Boomer Esiason was throwing it in a particular direction, and there's just sacks left and right. That was another thing, too, is that quarterbacks used to just hold the ball. They would just drop back, hold the ball, hold the ball, get sacked. The league leaders in sacks had, like, 70 as opposed to this year I think it was 50 because everyone gets rid of the ball quickly so it's fun it's fun to go back and watch those old games what stuck out to you from what we just talked about with Eric well I think that uh the situation with the draft is one that I'm still just kind of baffled at and Mm -hmm. I mean that's you and I are going to be talking about that till we're blue in the face the next few months I like the idea though uh of spreading it out a little Mm -hmm. bit um you know, what you mentioned with what Adam Schefter was projecting that they could potentially do, I think, is huge. Um, but, you know, beyond that, we don't really know uh, how this whole thing's going to play out, if the NFL is going to continue, that it's business as usual. It is nice to have stuff on TV and nice for us to have something to talk about. I will say I felt very fortunate these last, how long has it been, two weeks of, yeah. of this, um, that I haven't 
relegated myself yet because I've had stuff to do to like binging Netflix during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point we're going to get there, but it's been a nice distraction to talk about Tajay Sharp. Um, I know I'm making light of like, I mean, I'm sure he's a very good receiver and I'm sure they got a nice deal for him on the one year uh, contract. But you know, the fact that we're blowing this up into what it is is because we have nothing else to talk about. So that's, I mean, that's just one thing. I, I kind of like where he was headed, though, with the conversation about Trent Williams and what the expectation should potentially be for Vikings fans if the Vikings are even able to get further into that conversation. Like, I reported yesterday that they have been interested in him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just no movement right now because I think Washington is kind of being stubborn about it, and any offers that are on the table, they're just not taking. Um, but it, it kind of jogged my you know, my creative juices of figuring, okay, well, how could they do this? Because remember, you and I have talked about, well, what if you send Reef in a pick? And, you know, what if you need Riley Reef to potentially move inside to guard? Do you keep him? Can you afford to keep him and restructure him and, and you know, move him inside and get Trent Williams, what have you? The the straight-up trade of Anthony Harris for Trent Williams and also including a pick, I think, is one that we should definitely, definitely get into at some point. Yeah, well, do you like that? I mean, we've got a couple of minutes to the break, and then we got hot routes. So we've got time. I mean, yeah. do, do you like it straight up? Uh, because neither team seems to be able to really keep that player. Harris wants a big contract extension. He could help their defense immediately. Trent Williams wants a contract extension, which his agent made clear today he's not looking for $20 million per year, which had been reported before. So maybe that's saying, please, teams, trade for Trent Williams. Please get him out of Washington, D.C. But... If you can't keep Anthony Harris long-term because you feel like you can't afford it and you think that you can put in another safety, let's just say, you know, I don't know, Antoine Winfield Jr. Mm -hmm. next to Harrison Smith and it'll be okay. If you feel like that works, then I don't think that trade is crazy because right now Anthony Harris is only worth like a third or fourth round pick anyway. Other teams are not coming in with these huge offers to trade for Anthony Harris because they know the position the Vikings are in. Yeah, and I mean... They're going to have to rebuild their secondary anyways. That's just the fact of the matter. Whether Anthony Harris is there or not, you need depth pieces. You need to start planning out for the future because Harrison Smith is getting older. Anthony Harris, depending upon if you're able to work out a long-term deal with him or not, you still need to have a contingency plan for that. Um, I think it's just kind of like, well, we already know we're going to be taking care of this, so what's the harm? Um in the Vikings moving on and, and, and trading him. And I think that is like, I, well, like we talked about earlier in the week, I feel like they're the ones pulling out from the Harris thing, or at mm-hmm. least that's how it's perceived behind the scenes, not the other way around. Um, it's just weird to me. Like it, nothing's changed. Like I know. So I thought by now we'd have stuff. Me too. Like, <laughs> I, you know, it's just, you know, until, you know, my, my colleague, Dan, my colleague, John Kine put this probably the best way. Like until Dan Snyder comes in here, and just says enough is enough and move is able to move on. I don't know how this thing ends because it kind of feels like teams that might be interested in Trent Williams are trying to wait the sound and be like, we know Washington's going to let him go. Like they're, you know, this is, this is kind of the way it's been projecting. It's kind of like you wait and you wait and you wait. It's like, Come on, someone's had to have given them some offer. Right. At this point, yeah. Right? Like, this is true. Leak Williams me anything. Leak like, me any rumors. It's Someone. just weird. It's just weird that it, the stalemate feels like it's just like amid times of nothing going on. Um, they clearly have time to negotiate. They just haven't gotten anything that they really feel is 
comparable to the type of player that they're letting walk out the door. But it is interesting what you brought up, that that $20 million rumored figure, which the Vikings are in no position to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, if that comes down by how much it comes down, it might it makes it feel like a much more realistic option. Yeah, right now I think I would put it at like, like 30 or 40% that it happens. I just think that it's exactly what they've talked about needing for Kirk Cousins is for him to have better pass protection, though they might want to find some guards because right now they have, in my mind, none. That's kind of a problem. Um, but, you know, if you are moving Reef into guard, I think that that actually could work. But we still have the factor of if you have no OTAs and you're asking a longtime tackle to change positions, yikes, you're, you're just asking for trouble. So how they would maneuver around that would be very fascinating to see if they can do it. It just feels like a Spielman type of move to go get someone where you go, okay, all right, now all of a sudden things kind of came into a clear picture. Um, let's take a break, and when we come back, we got hot routes to get to, and uh, we'll see if we get any more on that front, but we can discuss it a little bit more to end the show. Uh, let's come back. It's Purple Daily here on Score North. The American Red Cross is facing a severe blood shortage due to the COVID-19 outbreak. Healthy blood and platelet donors are asked to give now. Donating blood is safe and can help save lives. Please schedule an appointment by calling 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit scorenorth.com, keyword red, to learn more and sign up to give blood. Jonathan here with the Score North download. I'll tell you about something we're doing tonight at about 6.15 here in just a second. But first, Score North has partnered with the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to ensure our area children are receiving the meals they need during the coronavirus outbreak. Your contribution of any amount will enable the Ronald McDonald House to continue to provide critical services to families dealing with a child's health crisis, including overnight accommodations, complimentary meals, fully stocked pantries, laundry, and more. Thanks to Louisa Rise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Louisa Rise Minnesota Twins jersey. To donate, please visit scorenorth.com keyword donate. Speaking of the Twins, I know it's supposed to be opening day for the Twins this or today. They were supposed to play the uh, Oakland A's, but that's obviously not happening because of all this. So in honor of that, we here at Score North tonight on the Score North Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch streams at 6.15. We are playing that game on MLB The Show. We'll be streaming it, and we'll have Phil Mackey, Rami Maklov, and Derek Wetmore all sitting alongside discussing what is going on in that game. Maybe doing a little play-by-play of said video game. That'll be tonight at about 6.15 on the Score North Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch stream, so you can follow along there. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. What a mistake. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Street! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid-fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 dragon smoke. It's Hot Routes on Purple Daily. 5-8-8-3-97! Sorry, Jonathan. What I was going to say is what a mistake playing MLB The Show and not Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest. Like, that was a huge error from you guys. Yeah. I have been playing a season on Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest, which is Courtney's favorite MLB season of all time, 1998. Best season is, ever. So it really is great because... That's just a great video game. I play, of course, with Ken Griffey Jr. You have I to. Mean, you have to. And he leads the league in home runs 
shocking. <laughs> but it's great to see like McGuire come up and you've got a pitch with him. I have Tim Wakefield on the team. That's a name I haven't heard in a minute. There's in, a poll. In Slugfest, you could just trade for players like crazy. Like it'll let you just keep upping and upping and upping the talent by trading and trading. So I have, you know, like Griffey and Albert Bell is on the team and Greg Maddox is my starting pitcher. I have loaded this team shamefully in uh, in Slugfest. So MLB the show, good for you, but Slugfest is an all-time baseball game. All right, let's kick in the uh, the hot routes here. Have you found a Sega Genesis yet, Courtney? Not yet. Uh, I should probably look. Might be time to get one. I know it's there. There, uh, there is a lot of time to be spent on video games. Um, I think I'm going to try to learn how to play the 2K game my brother just got on PS4. Um, that was never one. I never played many basketball games. Like oh. NBA Jam was not really my thing. Good luck. Um, Shooting's impossible in that game. I've heard, and in I just I don't know how that's going to go, see, but um, like we re- shall see. Recent recent games are just hard. They are. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's the problem. Is if you play NBA Jam, anyone can play NBA Jam. Yeah. I brought it to the media room last year at the end of the season, and we all played NBA Jam despite no one having played it in twenty years. Yeah, and it was fine. Uh, by the way, some breaking news here before we get to Hot Routes. Xavier Rhodes has a new home. Oh. He has been signed by the Indianapolis Colts. So, okay. there you have it. Xavier Rhodes will be an Indianapolis Colt. And guess what? This leads perfectly into my first question for Hot Routes. <laughs> so, uh, Cam Newton put out a video insinuating that he will get revenge on the Panthers for letting him go the way they did. The best revenge story in the NFL becomes Xavier Rhodes and the Colts playing the Minnesota Vikings. Does oh, it not? for sure. No, for I'm sure. it does not really. But that's the question. Is, 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 is there a revenge storyline that you're looking for? I mean, I like the Jameis revenge storyline, even though he has been... Honestly, the epitome of class, the way that he's handled the departure from Tampa Bay. I mean, the writing was on the wall for so long, but the way that they kind of just like let him go into the ether, it's like, let's all crowd around Tom Brady and all this fanfare. And oh, by the way, Jameis, yeah, see you later. Thanks so much. Thanks for the memories. Uh, And he went quietly off into the abyss. I would love to see Jameis sign with, let's say Cam does take that sabbatical that Eric Eager was talking about, and Jameis ends up going to the Los Angeles Chargers, win that job by, like, week six from Tarod Taylor, and um, lead them to the playoffs, get a wild card berth, and uh, get back to the type of play that we thought we could expect from you five years ago. Jonathan? Uh, Brady's too easy of an answer here, so I'm going to go with Teddy Bridgewater and the Panthers. First of all, they come here, they and do. he could be looking to exact some revenge, some form of revenge on a, against a franchise that tried to toll his contract, if we all remember correctly. That is true, uh, yes. Plus, he's in the same division as the team that decided to go with an 8,000-year-old Drew Brees instead, so... Can't blame him for that, but yes, yeah. he gets yeah. to have Teddy Bridgewater revenge game. Unfortunately, his roster is about one-third as good as the New yes. Orleans Saints at the moment. Teddy might have some tough times next year uh, with that Talk team. Talk about a rebuild. Yeah, I know. might take like 20 years. I don't know who plays for their team right now. I mean, they have Robbie Anderson. That's nice, I guess. P.J. Walker is their backup quarterback, so he's good in the XFL. Yeah, they don't have a great roster at the moment. Other Christian than Christian McCaffrey's on the team. Yeah. Christian McCaffrey and that's um, right. Maybe Todd Gurley exacts his revenge leading the Atlanta Falcons to an NFC South title and runs for 1,800 yards. <laughs> I, I mean, 
it's possible that Todd Gurley still has something in the tank that he could go to another team and be really, really good. Um, it's, Falcons are interesting. I mean, think about the way that they ended last season mm-hmm. on a nice hot streak. They yep. beat the 49ers. Everybody remembers that. Um, they made some moves this offseason already in dumping off some bad contracts that they had signed, i.e., uh, and moving on from, like, Devontae Freeman. I wouldn't say it's a terrible deal. It's a terrible deal for Freeman when he signed it. Um, but I will go ahead and take that one step further and think that they might be the sleeper team in the NFC South. Like, something doesn't yeah, sit I well with agree. me to think that the Bucks and the Saints are just going to be, like, going neck and neck the entire season. Like, the, they could... I mean, they could honestly sneak up on a few teams, particularly in their own division. Yeah, I could see it. Um, but like you said, the way that they finished last season, and Matt Ryan, still a good quarterback, and yeah. they, they put up points. It's just that their defense was abysmal last year. Got a great year. pass rusher, too. So those are kind of the best. Uh, Darius Slay, I don't think, plays the Lions, but if the Eagles were really, really good and the Lions really, really bad, which I could totally see, um, <laughs> and maybe you know the Chicago Bears and Nick Foles... It, yeah. The Vikings will have a chance to exact their revenge on Nick Foles when they play the Chicago Bears twice. But usually, Vikings-Bears does not go stupendously well for the Vikings. So, uh, we'll see. But there's, there are some budding revenge storylines in the NFL. Uh, our next question. Apparently, the 49ers tried to trade for Odell Beckham last year. I want you guys to give me Odell Beckham's stat line for this year. Like, Do you think Odell is back? I hope he doesn't top a thousand yards just because of what I talked about at the top of the show of how irritating that is that he took himself out after crossing that threshold. I'll say uh, 60 catches, 998 mm. yards. Wow, you are not impressed with Odell Beckham. I mean, they still have so many weapons in that offense. And yeah, Baker's going to be better, I think, this year. I mean, he was already starting to trend that way, but now that we're going to see more, I guess, consistent, albeit conservative, play calling. Did we ever figure out if Kevin Stefanski's going to be calling the plays? Uh, who knows? But um, I think that that's going to mean a drop in target share for Odell Beckham because Stefanski's just not going to care, um, and they're going to do what they want to do, and he's going to have a very conservative approach that his stats are going to drop. He's not going to top 1,000 yards. Coops is going to radio them in from Minnesota. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he's going to call two games at once. He's Kubiak. Of course he is. I mean, Gary's the superhero. You said that like he couldn't do it. It's Koops. Just questioning. Koops can do it. Uh, Jonathan, what do you think Odell Beckham does this year? I think based off the last two years Beckham has had, where he's topped, where he's barely topped 1,000 yards, he's had just over 70 catches each of the seasons. And what Stefan Diggs did last year in Stefanski slash Kubiak offense, now he'll have Stefanski as his offensive coordinator in Cleveland, or his head coach in Cleveland. I think... Odell Beckham gets 75 receptions, 1,100 yards, and six touchdowns. Yeah, I I wonder if Stefanski is going to open it up, though, because I got the sense that he, as the offensive coordinator, was doing what his boss wanted him to do, which was to start everything with the run and then set everything up with the play action and so forth. And we know that he likes the Shermer-Kubiak concepts, but will he start to throw the ball a lot more than the Vikings did last year if he believes that Baker Mayfield's his franchise quarterback and he wants to get the ball into the hands of the weapons? I say that Beckham is back. 
I think he's going to catch 90 passes this year, something like 11, 1,200 yards. I think they're going to target him a ton because if it fails, they need to find out whether it's going to succeed and they should stick with him. If it fails, they could trade him away or get rid of him just because he's constantly problematic. Um, but if they just throw him the ball, then you know it's very possible that he could go right back to being what he was. I mean, he made a very old Eli Manning look pretty darn good in New York. And I think he wasn't healthy last year either. Uh, Next question for you guys also pertains to the Cleveland Browns. Case Keenum said, if Baker Mayfield's shoe comes untied, he'll be ready to step right in. And who isn't rooting for Case Keenum to take a job from Baker Mayfield? Their personalities. I would be totally fine with that. Uh, I want you guys to tell me how many remaining underdog quarterbacks like a plucky Keenum are there in the NFL, and who are they? Kyle Allen is the first one that came to mind, oddly enough. I don't know why, but as I'm thinking about it, that's the first one. Can, can Joe Flacco's still in the NFL, right? Uh, technically speaking. Technically, agent, yeah. like, sure. So no one's two. signing him, though, right? I think there's no. two. Um, is Flacco an underdog now? I mean, I thought he was just a guy who was overrated and washed. Eh, I would include him in the underdog category. Okay, so um, I guess he goes from overrated to underrated now because people think he can't play. But would I you say would you say Gardner Minshew is in the underdog? Yeah, yeah, I'll take okay. Gardner Minshew for that. I'll put him in there. So I've got three. There's at least three. Fitzmagic? Yes, yeah, I think course. Fitzmagic okay. definitely qualifies for this. I have one, which was the sort of impetus of the question. Daniel Jones of the New York yep. Giants, I think, is an underdog because everyone said they made the stupidest draft pick in the history of the entire world. And the other one is also in the division. If they draft Tua, then all of a sudden Dwayne Haskins becomes a pretty darn big underdog for that job in Washington to get it and to keep it. And I will give you one that you guys will absolutely laugh at, but it's true. Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky is now an underdog in Chicago. When your team trades for another starting quarterback, you become suddenly the underdog. What about the guy you guys talked about last segment, Tyrod Taylor? Yeah, yeah, Tyrod Taylor is definitely an underdog. He always has been. I really liked Tyrod Taylor when I covered him. Not necessarily as a franchise quarterback, but just as a guy who made it. Sixth round draft pick, backup quarterback through the elite Joe Flacco years back when he was not an underdog. And then, uh, you know, he becomes he wins a starting job over Matt Castle, who they traded for, and E.J. Manuel, who's a first-round pick in Buffalo, and did pretty good. I mean, got them to the playoffs, and he was not a franchise quarterback, but uh, deserves respect. So, yes, I will go with Tyrod Taylor, or Tyrod is an underdog. Next question for you two, Eric Dickerson. <laughs> There's a reason why Courtney and I would laugh at Eric Dickerson's name alone. Uh, trust but just, me, I, I saw it earlier. Inside and jokes. I was like, good lord. Um, <clears throat> Eric Dickerson has said he's disappointed with the new Rams logo, which is a Mad Lib for sure. And he plans on talking to the team about it. Hello, this is Eric Dickerson. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, right? like, what is that? What is that supposed to be? Uh, why does it look like the president's Sonic. hair on the letters L and A? Anyway, so I want you guys to recruit a former player to make some type of change in the NFL. So, just like, I'm going to get this player to help me change this in the NFL. I'm going to get Vince Wilfork to make all all defensive tackles 340 pounds and up. <laughs> you like, are not oh, allowed not, to play not three the techniques, But, like, you know, nose tackles, zero techniques, one techniques, two techniques. Those people have to be 340 and above. <laughs> they have to be hosses. Hosses. Because I find it so fascinating 
um, just how athletic those guys actually are. Yeah. I mean, you can be massive like that. I mean, think about how big Linville had to be in order to stop the run and also to make Eric Kendrick's job pretty, you know, not easy, but, you know, make his job easier. So to be able to eat up all that space and to stay athletic and to be able to do what he did in Philadelphia two years ago and return that touchdown and probably would run faster than any of us ever could in our peak. Yes, far faster. So, Way faster. But, but I, I want everybody to be healthy, too, because I know Vince Wilfork has talked about, like, obesity and, like, fighting mm-hmm. it, you know, from his whole, like, you know, family lineage and all that. So I want you guys to be 340 pounds, 340 pounds and be healthy. Yeah, that's totally possible. Uh, Jonathan? I know we like the storylines that come with the uh, Travis Kelseys and the Rob Gronkowskis of the world, these tight ends who are very big personalities. I want to bring back Jimmy Kleinsasser for the not clean looking tight end fullback guy <laughs> who's just boring as hell but does his job. Okay, so you need more gritty yes. tight ends yes. is what you want. And Gronkowski's going to help you. Okay, I've got a few of them. I need Brian Mitchell, former kick slash punt returner, and Dante Hall and Mel Gray. To help me get the XFL's kick return in the NFL. Desmond Howard, he's a great broadcaster for ESPN. He can come along. Uh, Glenn Milburn can stop by. Tamark Vanover. Devin Hester. All these guys. Even Herschel Walker. Get the kick return back in the NFL somehow. I need you guys to give me a hand. And also, whoever can turn the Tennessee Titans logo. Maybe we'll have it be... um, Drew Hill used to be a wide receiver for the uh, Houston Oilers. If we can get that Titans logo back to the Houston Oilers, please. The Titans have this hideous, gross, awful jersey. The Oilers is one of the all-timers. We should not have an NFL without the Houston Oilers jersey. You're welcome, everyone. Got some nice things for you. (laughs) With the help of Glenn Milburn and Mel Gray and Drew Hill. Uh, all right, last question. Blake Bell won a Super Bowl, guys. That's former Viking Blake Bell. Everyone remembers former Viking Blake I Bell, don't. who was on the Vikings and then won the Super Bowl this year. Uh, which Viking that left this offseason has the best chance to win a Super Bowl in 2020? I think it'll either be between Stephon Diggs and Everson Griffin. And Everson, wherever he ends up, I think he ends up in Seattle, and that's just a projection right now. I don't know if that's true one way or the other, but Seattle's still got a really good team. The Bills, if they can figure out Josh Allen's quarterback uh, problems, just I'm just going to call them quarterback problems, not just accuracy issues. Um, they've got a clear shot to win the AFC East and to uh, make a nice deep run in this thing when some of the other, other teams in their uh, division, or excuse me, in their conference, are taking a little bit of a back a step back this year, just like the Houston Texans. So I'll say those two. I think those are the easy answers, though. You think, Jonathan? Uh, mine might be a guy who was the the basis of a question earlier this week in Hot Routes. Is it Laquan Treadwell with the Falcons? <laughs> oh, that would be hilarious. Oh, man. If Laquan Treadwell won the Super Bowl <laughs> with one catch in 14 <laughs> games, but he gets the ring, that would be the funniest. I mean, we talked about the Falcons earlier. They've got a pretty decent offense. That's Matt Ryan's still a quarterback. Answer. That's the perfect answer. The perfect. It's the only answer. <laughs> I don't think I was. I was going to sit here and say, "Well, Everson will sign with a good team, and he's going to be like Terrell Suggs, where he goes to wherever and he's going to get eight sacks, and they're going to win the Super Bowl." And Jonathan comes in with the perfect answer. 
Yeah, Jonathan, that like hit the nail on Definitely. the head because you know, here's it's gonna you happen. know the thing. Like, Treadwell just is just going to have that blank. Right now. He's going to have that blank <laughs> look on his face and that smile, and he's just going to be like, "Wait, he's, I want a Super Bowl." He's going to tweet How'd out like, "Champions." <laughs> Scream out his uh, scream out his successes. Scream out his successes. <laughs> he will be at that point successful. Quan, that is right. My goodness, that's his Twitter, by the way. Oh gosh, that is the. Per- I don't. I'm not going to try and top it. I'm not going to try. We can't go any farther than that. That's Jonathan's best by far ever hot route answer. Good job, Jonathan. Thank you. You went from saying everyone should sign with Vegas to this. I mean, you, they should. They still should. But off season yes. progress is important. <laughs> Okay, that's Hot Routes for today. We end it right there because that's just the perfect place to end it. Let's circle back to that Trent Williams conversation for five more minutes because, um, you know, I I think it is actually justifiable, Courtney, if they decided to do it because I believe that Trent Williams could be really good at football for several more years. If I thought that he was just ancient and washed up and there was no chance... But he's going to come back 100% healthy. And we've seen other guys like Jason Peters and Andrew Whitworth, who were elite at their position, go deep into their 30s. And from that perspective, it's a lot of money for an older player, but at a position where historically guys can still be great later into their career. I actually think that that's the way to go if they're going to continue to try and win in 2020. Yeah, and that's the reason, like you mentioned, all of those things that he's still very, very good and he can play a lot, a lot longer. That's the reason that Washington doesn't want to just cut him. You know, I know they would only have t- uh, $2 million in dead money and you get 12 and a half in cap savings, but you don't want to do that for a player that's that good and not get something back in return, at least get a fourth-round pick. My Lord. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for, for the Vikings, if you can make this move happen to – Upgrade your offensive line, at least knowing that that spot's going to be handled for the next few years of Kirk Cousins' contract before you may inevitably have to blow it up and do it all over again. Why wouldn't you? Okay. If you're financially able to and you can unload another player and and do something straight up, potentially like that. No, you're exactly right. But I'm trying to put the pieces of my skull back into my brain at the moment after what Jeremy Fowler just, uh, just tweeted. I have to check and make sure it's the real Jeremy Fowler. It is. He's got the blue check mark. Just to make sure this is exactly right. This is. I'm starting to get concerned about the front office right now because of this tweet. Jeremy Fowler of ESPN reports, was told that despite Xavier Rhodes' release from Minnesota before free agency, Vikings recently made an offer to bring him back, but Rhodes opts for a fresh start with the Indianapolis Colts. Excuse me? Well... For why? For what? <laughs> what? I, I will say this. I, I know that that doesn't sound like, I mean, to my knowledge, like, you know, if you were going to cut him and try to bring him back, it would obviously be at a very, very, very low deal. Like, we knew this was going to happen. But they're probably thinking at least he knows the defense. At least he can be a rotational player. Like, they might, that might honestly foreshadow that they think their cornerback situation is in more dire straits than we know. You know, like, at least it's a player who knows the defense, at least we think. I mean, he may not be able to play great at it. So last uh, or last it, year, but... opponents throwing at Xavier Rhodes went 66 for 79, yeah, which I is mean, he... 84% completion percentage with five touchdowns, zero picks, and 131 quarterback rating. Oh, and he can't run and had several massive meltdowns on the sideline of his own last season. What? Why would you even remotely be considering bringing this player back. What? The only thing I can think of 
would be because of the familiarity and because they just want to get somebody in there that they could cut potentially. Like, look, they're not in play outside of what we, you know, can speculate about Trent Williams. They're not in play for any big name free agents or anybody that's left out there. What's the harm in giving this guy a veteran minimum deal. Like, if you can do that. Um, we don't know the figures yet. I don't think they've come out for Rhodes and the Colts, but it's a one-year deal. I, I just think it's... Again. I, I it, think it's, it's probably short-sighted. Preposterous. Like, even a, even a short... Even a one-year deal with no guaranteed money, why would you be bringing back one of the worst players at the position last year who clearly could not play anymore? Well, you know about Zim's loyalty, and sometimes that's blind loyalty. Like... I think it's clear who's still trying to run things there or who still is in charge. The Michael Pierce signing now this, it's very clear who's making the calls still at TCO Performance Center. I mean, it's honestly, you know, everybody agree that this is the best thing that's happened. But I always kind of got that sense. I mean, you even saw it with Rick Spielman's statement that they put out the day that Linville and Xavier's contracts were terminated, the Friday before free agency, that they were going to keep in touch with their representatives during the the free uh, as the free market kind of unfolded so clearly they did according to what jeremy's reporting um would it have been the right move i think that there would have been people rioting outside of tco performance center even though we're all in shelter in place mode um it would not have sat well with this fan base uh no not at all all right thanks courtney for your time fun show today we'll hand it off to mackie and judd with rami we'll see you tomorrow on a friday have some fun This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.